0: With that said, I'm excited. We're moving into the book of Numbers. I know for some, it is your favorite book. There's no question about it. And you have been waiting. Uh, And for some, it's like, uh, there's a book of Numbers? (laughs) I know none of you here. knew. Everyone knows there's a book of Numbers. So, Father, we thank you for this evening. We lift uh, this evening up to you with the opportunity you've given us to be able to place here, to gather here out of the rainy elements this evening and to be able to sit Uh, If it's not here, maybe in the comforts of their home right now, Lord, but I pray the Holy Spirit, you will move in a mighty way, touching the ears of the hearer and their hearts, Lord, will be changed and that they'll be alert and to hear the things that you have for them specifically, uh, individually. But again, help us, Lord, to to make the tie into the full counsel of God here from numbers into the New Testament. But Lord, just only you can do this work and we just leave it up to you in Jesus name. Amen. So yes, please open up your Bibles to the Book of Numbers. The Book of Numbers. You don't hear that very often. When was the last time you heard the Book of Numbers taught? Even on the even on the radio station, we've had them for quite a few years. I for some reason I have not heard one of the teachers yet in the Book of Numbers. So I don't know. I don't. I know they don't skip over the Book of Numbers. I don't, I don't know what it is, but I just haven't heard the Book of Numbers taught. Uh, in a very, very, very long time. So, uh, this might be a first for many of you. We are going to take chapter one only. Yes, I could probably have done a summary for the first four chapters tonight, but um, we're going to do a chapter one because a little bit of introductory for those who are taking notes and and maybe again, I'm not joking. This, Many people just have never opened up and never read anything out of the book of Numbers, except for all of you, right? Because you're on the seven-day plan, and you read through the whole counsel of God, and you, you read the whole Bible probably once a year because you're going through the plan. So I know you've been through the book of Numbers because uh, you will, uh, but uh, let's study it. And uh, we see here in the book of Numbers, in chapter 1, verse 1, also in Numbers chapter 33, verse 2, the authorship of the book of Numbers is clearly, in my opinion, and many, uh, and the, what the scripture shows, is, is Moses. This is the fourth book in the Torah, or the Pentateuch, which means the five scrolls, or the five books of the law. And uh, this is the fourth, we've covered, yes, the uh, first three, and uh, we're on to the fourth. And some historians place this particular time of writing this, or this period of time in the history of Israel, is of 1445 and 1405 B.C. So that's the time period we're talking about historically. Now, when you take a look at the background of the book of Numbers, as recorded in the book of Exodus, Israel escaped slavery in Egypt. God miraculously brought them and set them free from hundreds of years of bondage, brought them through the Red Sea moment, uh, providing miraculously in the desert wilderness experience, and they came to Mount Sinai where God appeared to them in a incredible, spectacular way uh, there on the mountain, where Moses went up on the mountain to meet with God personally and receive the law. Now, of course, at that point in time, we find that at Mount uh, uh, Sinai, Israel was also embraced and started embracing an idolatrous image of a golden calf, And was corrected by the Lord. Now, while they're encamped at the foot of Mount Sinai, we find that Israel built the tabernacle of meeting and established the priesthood exactly according to God's plan that was then given to Moses, then to the people and to the priests specifically for the nation at large. We saw that as we studied through the book of Leviticus. At the end of the book of Leviticus, they have been out of Egypt for a little more than a year in our time frame. So Exodus covered a year. Leviticus covered only a month. And now we're moving into the book of Numbers, which encompasses more than 38 years of Israel there uh, time period. Now, this fourth book of Moses tells us what happened during those 38 years. The Hebrew title of the book gives us an idea of the theme of Numbers, and in Hebrew, this book is entitled, In the Wilderness, instead of Numbers, because it's all about the 38 years of experience taking place in the wilderness, The wilderness was never meant to be Israel's designation, destination I should say. It was always a passing through from bondage, passing through into freedom or the promised land. It was never to be living and dwelling and being stuck into the wilderness. And, and you're going to make that connection, I think, to many of you. You were in bondage. You were living in the guilt and shame and the sin and, and they gripped you. You were saved. You set free. You go through this period of wilderness of just going into the period of rest in God. There's a period there. And you many struggle through that transition from slavery into freedom. And that new position, the new place you find yourself in, and as no different than here the, the nation of Israel in the desert. Now keep in mind, it's not an arid desert. It, it was a semi-arid desert. So there were some small trees and there were some hills and stuff. So it's not this flat you know, desert scene of you know, Arabia. But, uh, it, but it was a wilderness area. And uh, not much around uh, for sure. I mean, God actually provided for them during that period of time. But God's intention was to bring them into that promised land of Canaan. The wilderness was intended for a temporary place, a place to move through. Not to live in. And I emphasize, emphasize that again because many Christians will find themselves in this Christian mode that they are in this quasi unknown, not peaceful, not joyful. They're just kind of slugging through the Christian life and they're content with that. And I'm telling you, God never intended for us to be in this sludge, this sluggish time frame of Christianity. You should be filled with joy and peace and and just in generated, just a power to do things for God and with great anticipation of his return for you. Not some quasi, I'm going to survive as a Christian today somehow, kind of a moment. That's not what God's intended for us. And it was an 11-day journey. Most people don't understand that. It was an 11-day journey from Mount Sinai to the entrance of the Promised Land in Kadesh Barnea. We see that in Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 2. But how long did it take them to go from Mount Sinai to the, to the, to the edge of going to the Promised Land? Not 11 days. It tur- turned into almost 40 years wandering to go that short period of time. Why? Well, we know because of disobedience and unbelief. That is why they wandered for 40 years in the wilderness and not go 11 days right into the promised land. The book of Numbers is all about God's people in the wilderness, so how they get there, how God deals with them in the wilderness, how he brings them out of the wilderness on their way to the promised land, and how they turn, again, that two-week trip (laughs) into a 40-year transformational moment for the nation of Israel. Because that transformation was an entire generation was lost into the desert one by one, buried into the wilderness, and a whole new generation had to be raised up to be able to come into the promised land. A tremendous transformation for the, for the nation of Israel. The opening 10 chapters of the book of Numbers covers a mere 50 days. That's it. Of the 38 years, it's only 50 days in our first 10 chapters that we will cover. And it describes how Moses organized Israel for the march from Mount Sinai to the promised land. And he's going to describe how he's going to get this all in order. And we're going to see a census. They're going to count heads in this chapter, to get them all lined up so there's order to go into the promised land. Because a God is a God of order. And having escaped from their taskmaster in Egypt. Now you've got to have a mindset here as you read about the people. Here you are in bondage. Your whole history, for many, for histories of, of, nation, of, uh, of a generations, were just nothing but bondage in Egypt. Now you're brought out of Egypt, you're set free, you have freedom to go. You're no longer being whipped by taskmasters of work, 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 work. You have the freedom to go, and God is leading you. And they walk through a period of time within a year. Here's Moses on the Mount Sinai, going to meeting with God. They knew he was meeting with God. He, they could witness this the, the, the lightning and this and the cloud coming upon and in the in this, and they got discontented. They, got, they, they just wanted, they, I want control. I want to create my own thing. I don't want to be told what to do anymore. And they created their own golden calf. Their own religion. Their own way. Because they had the freedom to do whatever they wanted to do and however they wanted to live. And now they're being told that God says to Moses, Moses of them, you need to follow the law. <laughs> We've been under a taskmaster. Why would we want to be under the law now? But they had order because they were just wild and going off on their own tangents. And God said, there's got to be boundaries, there's got to be order, Uh, there's got to be a law to bring to light your heart and how wicked it is. So the book of Numbers approaches it all God's way. When we are in the wilderness, we are tempted to launch a hundred different plans for our lives a hundred different schemes of how we want to do things in our life and we'd find that in the wilderness we'll do that we'll figure out with all kinds of things how we can make plans for our lives but only God's way really works and once you come to that realization as a Christian that God's way is the only way the true way that gives you life and once you realize that you stop making plans for yourselves you stop scheming how you're going to get ahead and do what you want to do and you realize just allow God to lead you in your day-to-day life and that's what the book of numbers gives us is God's way the idea that the lord spoke to moses you'll notice if you want to make note and go as you read through numbers Lord spoke to Moses repeatedly, 150 times, more than 20 different ways in the book of Numbers. So why would you avoid the book of Numbers reading the scriptures? I don't know. Because when you sit there and you see that many times the Lord speaking to Moses and he's speaking clearly, there's so much for us to learn as we go through this book. So now, Numbers chapter 1. We see here in verses 1 through 3 the purpose of the census that will be counted. And we see that God is putting things in order. He says, Now the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai in the tabernacle of meeting on the first day of the second month in the second year after they had come out of the land of Egypt, saying, Take a census of all the congregation of the children of Israel by their families, by their fathers' houses, according to the number of names, Every male individually, from the 20-year-old and above all who are able to go to war in Israel. You and Aaron shall number them by their armies. So they're going here, as we see here, the Lord speaks to Moses, and Moses met with the Lord there in the tabernacle, and God commanded to him to take a census of the congregation, Probably the very first census of where God is telling uh, to take the census. We'll see another census is actually taken at the end of Numbers. And we will talk about the transformation and why that change took place a little bit. But they're going to take this census because God wants them to be in order and know exactly the resources or the number of men ...who are going to go to war and be prepared to go to war as they come into the promised land. And the qualifications of that, of that person was a 20-year-old man and older who is fit to be able to do that. So they're going to take this census and we're going to see those numbers by each of the, of the sons or each of the tribes. We're going to see how many men qualified, 20 and older, go to war. And so you have to keep that in the perspective when you're doing the census. You know, we get a census, we immediately go, why does the government want to know who, how many we are? You know, there's always a reason why they're going to use those numbers, and we never think they're going to be a good reason, right? So people don't want to do census. They don't want people to be counted. We don't want to know all the government or anyone else to know much about us. But here God said, no, we need to get a census because we need to know, more likely, Moses, Aaron the leaders of the army that's going to go in, you need to know how many able bodies are going to be with us going into that. And we'll see this here. That, that you and Aaron shall number them. So it wasn't just anyone can number them, but Moses and Aaron, the high priest there, had to be the one that verifies the numbers because it, it was going to be a predominantly a military census to see who could fight on Israel's behalf In taking the promised land. And this was the first step in taking the promised land. an inventory. You need to take inventory. You need to count the cost of what God is about to ask you to do. And through the promised land had been mentioned during the Exodus to, to this point the focus has been getting to Mount Sinai. That's all whole focus. It wasn't about going into war so much and going into the promised land. It was just the promise of getting there. Many times God says, I'm taking you here, but all the things in between, He doesn't tell you what's going to take place. Do you know that in your life? He just tells you a vision. He gives you a dream in some cases of where you're going to be. He never tells you how long it's going to be. He never tells you up right up front what you're going to have to endure to go to, to that place. And it's the same thing for his people. All they knew, they were going to a promised land. But the whole focus was on the very first step that God wanted them to do. And what was that? I'm going to take you to Mount Sinai. That was all God kept talking about and showing, just get to Mount Sinai. Once you get there, I'm going to give you information. They got the law. They got the tabernacle. They got a few more things. Now, he says, now I'm going to give you the next step. I'm going to tell you what next is in your journey toward the promised land. And he now says, get a census because we're going to be organized and think about all the families. Think of all the mindset. Like You just got called up. We need to know if you're ready. You know, If you've been in the military, you know what it means to get a call and say, hey, get here, be ready, we're on standby. You automatically know, does that mean we're going to war again? Am I going to be de- quick deployments? It, things start rushing, and then the ladies start going, oh, I think my husband or my wife is going to be deployed. and it, You get your mind getting all squirrely up somewhat. It's the same thing with the people here. Why are, we, why are we getting a census? What is a census? Why are they doing a census? Now they know that they're going to be going for war. And they're going to do this in a way that is by each name. Because each name we see in verse 2. Not only are the families of the tribes, but each of the fathers and the names of each individual is important. It wasn't going to be a general census. They were going to report back by name every single male that qualifies to go uh, to for battle. And... Uh, And this is what's going to happen. They're still going to have to fight. They're going to know that they're going to have to go into battle and the whole purpose behind this. And it's the same thing spiritually, right? We may fail in spiritual battle because we do not take an honest inventory about where we are spiritually. Many times you get saved and you get all excited and you want to do things great for God and and you just feel like you have to do something for God because He saved you from so much. But they don't take inventory of what it's going to cost or what it means to step out and do certain things. It's going to require faith, but you just don't irrationally go do things for God without spending time with the Lord and taking inventory spiritually. Are you ready to do those things? It's a, you just don't automatically go up and just start doing things just because you feel like it. And so you're always making sure you're discipling people up, making sure they take inventory, make sure they're prepared, what God is showing them to do. And so we're always encouraged not to discourage them at what God is showing them, but make sure they understand what the cost is in inventory to do it. Get some order. You don't just sit there and say, I think we want a mission trip today, and I'm leaving tomorrow. What about your house? I don't know. What about your wife and your children? I don't know. Do you have any money? I don't know. Where are you going to go when you go over there in that country? I don't know. I just know I'm supposed to go, so I'm leaving tomorrow. That's not a very wise decision. There's things you had to put in order to be able to just leave and go. And that's what he's saying here. We're going to get a census. We're going to figure out how many people are there by family and the strength of Israel that will be determined who will go in into the promised land and take the land as planned. And verse 4, And with you there shall be a man from Every tribe, each one of the head of his father's house. These are the names of the men who shall stand with you. And we're going to see each of the the, the brothers, the 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 kids there, starting with Reuben. And then we're in verse 6, we'll see Simeon. Then we get to verse 7, you're going to see Judah, but I make a note there, his person who represents the tribe of Judah for that family is uh, Nashon, the son of uh, Aminadab. Take a note of that. Uh, Verse 8, we see Ishkar, the representative there for that family. Then Zebulon in verse uh, verse 9, we see another person who, in verse 10, notice that it's the plural, the sons of Joseph, not singular, Two people represent the tribe of Joseph. Very important. That's we, how we continue to have 12 tribes represented here because two are from the sons of Joseph, Ephraim there and Manasseh verse 11 notice benjamin is noted here in his representative from 12 in verse 12 dan is represented and his representative there for dan verse 13 asher 14 from gad 15 from uh, naphtali and we see that these were chosen from the congregation leaders of their family uh, their, their fathers tribes and heads of the divisions in israel so they, everyone had a pretty much an input on this of who is going to represent and lead, almost become governor of their tribe, of their, that little nation of theirs, of their family, of and representing, Going to lead the, the warriors from their families. And the, how many they had. They're going to make sure they make counts. Take the counts. And represent and come back to Moses. Come back to Aaron. By name all of those males in the family. That's represented for those, those, uh, those armies of each of those families. So Israel was organized according to the tribes. That descended from the original 12 sons of Jacob. Of course re, Jacob was renamed Israel later on. But each of these 12 tribes designated one who would be the head and leader representing that tribe or that army of men who would stand with Moses and with Aaron during this whole time of counting of the censuses and leading in order to make sure their order because anytime this point now moving forward it was supposed to be a 11-day journey, 2-week journey, going to the promised land, going to go to, go to war But these people would have to lead for many years because of the 40-year travel in the wilderness. Each time they moved, they needed to make sure their tribe was in order to move in an orderly fashion. Now... They represented the the father's house, the tribe. But we'll see that uh, the congregation had input to make sure they were looking at the person they were going to be leading them in regards to that. So we went from Reuben down to Simeon there. But notice there was one son not mentioned or one tribe. Which one was it? The Levites. And we're going to see very clearly the Levites here um, are not noted because those men, those purpose for that tribe was not to go to war. They were men, they were the families that would be raised up to take care of the tabernacle and the spiritual needs of the entire nation of Israel. And I mentioned about um, in Judah, the house of Judah, that the nation was the representative. And the reason I mention that is because that name and his father's name was mentioned another place in the scripture in Matthew chapter 1 verse 4, which is the genealogy of Jesus. So very important you see the linkage of the genealogy. In verse 17 and through 19, we see the assembly of the leaders here. Then Moses and Aaron took these men who had been mentioned by name and they assembled all the congregation together on the first day of the second month and they recited their ancestry by families, by their Father's houses according to the number of names from the twenty year twenty years old and above each one individually as the Lord commanded Moses so he numbered them in the wilderness of Sinai so again the leaders brought them up they Moses and Aaron started counting making sure everything is in order specifically final number not some big giant number but literally bound by by person's name. And we see this over the next several verses here, how many of the men were counted for each tribe. Notice here in verse 20 and 21, Now the children of Reuben, Israel's oldest son, Jacob's oldest son here, their genealogies by their families, by their father's house, according to the number of names, every male individually, from 20 years old and above, all who were able to go to war, qualification, those who were numbered of the tribe of Reuben, and it was 46,500 potential soldiers representing that particular division of, of the army. That's a pretty big, that's bigger than Fort Drum active duty population. Did you know that? There are about thirty thousand active duty of, uh, here at Fort Drum. There was forty-six thousand five hundred representing just one of the tribes. That gives you a perspective, doesn't it? Now, some people say those are not, right, you know, exact numbers. Some say they're just increase in numbers, or just they're less than that. The way they did calculations, you'll get hear all kinds of crazy things. But I take the scripture pretty s- simple, straightforward. It says pretty clear to me there was forty six thousand five hundred men. Yes, it may have been rounded up. Okay, I'm good with the rounding up, except for the tribe of Gad. You'll notice it was round up to the fifties, not to the hundreds. That was the only difference between all the tribes. I'm good with the numbers here. I I keep it nice and simple. You know, in verses 22 and 23, we see that the tribe of Simeon was 59,300 potential soldiers. In numbers in their uh, verses 24 and 25, the tribe of Gad was 45,650. Again, it wasn't rounded up to 700 or rounded down. It was 650. It's okay. It just shows you how many men were prepared to go into war to do, to get the promised land here. And when you look at verses 26 and 27, the tribe of Judah was 74,600 potential soldiers. That's the largest amount for of that tribe. Was this is in the 70s? Was 74,600? Uh, when you look at verses 28 and 29, the tribe of Ishkar was 54,400 potential soldiers. Soldiers. Then you look at verses 30 and 31, the tribe of Zebulun. 57,400 potential soldiers. Verses 32 and 33, we see the tribe of Ephraim. That was 40,500. Verses 34 and 35, we see the tribe of Manasseh, which was 32,200 potential soldiers. Then we see verse 36 and 37, the tribe of Benjamin, 35,400. Then we see the tribe of Dan, Pretty far up there, that had 62,700 soldiers. The tribe of Asher, 41,500. And then finally, in verses 42 and 43, we see the tribe of Naphtali of 53,400 all of you, some of you mathematicians, already counted up, or you read verses 44 and 46, and you see there was 603,550 potential soldiers in Israel that were going to go in and take over the Promised Land as God promised. And there are the ones who were numbered, Moses and Aaron numbering them with the leaders of Israel, 12 men. Uh, Each one representing his father's house, so all who were numbered of the children of Israel by their father's house from 20 years old and above all who were able to go to war in Israel, all who were numbered there, uh, 603,550. Again, This will be repeated again at the end of these 38 years, at the end of numbers when we get there, and we will see that the number only reflected only by 2,000 difference. Just 2,000. But it's not in the big number that you should know because at the end we'll figure out the numbers representing each tribe will be radically different. Many will be lost and many of the tribes will grow, and it will still work out to be about the same amount of men, 20 and older, going for the, into the potential for war. Now, in the first census, we see that Manasseh was the smallest tribe, and Judah was the largest. And they are the two tribes in the 30,000, I, I, I won't go into a lot of detail, but you can break them down how many were in the 30,000, 40,000, 50, 60, the, and one in the 70s. But that was a grand total. With that calculation, many—that's where the scholars say there were somewhere between two to two and a half million Jews at that point in time. The tribe of Israel represented there in the uh, in the wilderness at that time. Now, verses forty-seven and through fifty-four, we see the a the special. Uh, uh, carve out the, the exemption from not having to go to war. <laughs> the exemption is if you were a Levite, the from the tribe of Levi, that we will see that they were to have a whole different purpose for God uh, as a child of God here. We see right here, but the Levites were not numbered among them by their father's tribe, for the Lord had spoken to Moses, saying, Only the tribe of Levi you shall not Number nor take a census of them among the children of Israel. You're not even to know how many Levites there are. Don't take a count and say, oh, it's a potential kind of like a reserve. You know, this would be like a reserve, a national guard. Tell me what the numbers are. We won't send them unless we absolutely have to. No, God said, don't even be tempted To take God's people who are working and taking care of the tabernacle and God's spiritual needs, do not count them. Don't even be tempted to take them to to war. But you shall appoint the Levites over the tabernacle of the testimony, over all its furnishings, and over all the things that belong to it. They shall carry the tabernacle and all its furnishings, and they shall attend to it and camp around the tabernacle. Notice that. They're to plant their tents around the tabernacle. i will talk a little bit more about that. And when the tabernacle is to go forward, the Levites shall take it down. And when the tabernacle is to be set up, the Levites shall set it up. And notice this. Why are they taking control over that? Because the outsider who comes near, comes near that tabernacle of testimony shall be put to death. Ooh don't touch it <laughs> only God wants certain things to be touched don't touch it and they wanted to make sure he protects that uh, that that uh, the tabernacle there the children of Israel shall pitch their tents everyone by his own camp everyone by his own standard according to their armies But the Levites shall camp around the tabernacle of the testimony that there may be no wrath on the congregation of the children of Israel and the Levites shall keep charge of the tabernacle of the testimony. Thus the children of Israel did according to all that the Lord commanded Moses. So they did. So, because of it, it was a census of this potential shol- soldiers going into war. Going as we go into there, the tribe of Levi was not counted whatsoever. They had a very specific purpose for God to do, and that was to take care of the tabernacle. Again, each tribe had a responsibility. Who took care of the all the fabrics, the tents, the the veil? They took care of that. Others had all the poles and infrastructure. The other one took care of all the furnishings, the Ark of the Covenant, the, the lampstand, all the incense. They had their roles and responsibility, and it was like clockwork, I'm sure. They packed it up. When the clouds started moving, guess what happened? They packed it up and they were ready and watching when God was moving. When they moved, what happened to the rest of the tribes? They followed God. The leaders. They followed and went. When they reset back up. As we will see. And if you've studied it. The tabernacle of testimony. Was established in the center. Korath. Merodai. And Goshen all were around from the the, uh, the the south and the west and and north. And Moses and Aaron and the priests were on the north side of the tabernacle, in front of the gate, and they surrounded the tabernacle. Why? Because if anybody in the other tribes snuck in to say, hey, there's showbread, let's get some food, we're hungry, let's go sneak in there. They would die. So God had these tents around to protect the tabernacle, where God was presence there in the holy of holies, there in the, over the hovering over the ark of the covenant, no one could just go in there. It was order, and we studied that through uh, the book of Leviticus. And so they've had this here, and all the tribes were set properly, Three, 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 three. 3, All of it was all set up in a very distinct order. They didn't get to say, oh, I want my tent over here because it's a little bit of nicer view. <laughs> that's, not, that's not how you happen. You don't get to come in and say, oh, I want this, and I get to have this, and I claim that seat, and you can't sit in my seat. <laughs> I get No, I'm getting off a little bit. But you go and just there's order. There's... There's a purpose that God has certain things, and uh, we and we got to be very wise in watching and learning through this. And similarly to the Levites, as a believer, they were priesthood, overseeing the things of God. Do you know we are priesthood? We see in First Peter 2.9, chosen by God for his service. Do you realize once you're a child of God, your master, the one who leads your life, is not you. It's not someone else. It's not an employer. It's not not your spouse. It's not your children. (laughs) God is the one who leads you for his purpose, for his service. And so you must realize and get that established as a believer. What do you have for me to do here today, Lord? What's my purpose? What do you have for me? And it's important we understand that. And there's times where God counts things. God counts things. He counts the stars and he names them, each one of them. We see that in Psalm 147.4, Isaiah 40.26. God even counts and knows the number of hair on your head, Matthew 10.30. But then when you come to certain things, God says, do not count. You don't count. He says, don't count the Levites. You should not know what, how many there is because they're mine and I will use them for their purpose and I've outlined that clearly. They need to stay focused on what I've called them to do. The Levites shall camp around the tabernacle of testimony. What a beautiful, beautiful thing. We see here in the scripture tonight that God has an order, God has a purpose, God has a plan, and we can get distracted. And I love when I study this because God made it very clear, he knows how men are and leaders can be, and trying to... Take away from the things of God because they don't seem as important than the practical things that need to be done. And so how tempting it could be for the leaders to sit there and we need more men. Do you see how big the giants are? We need more men. Let's get the Levites to start going out there. Let them. You know, I think I just heard it the other day. It was the funniest thing. Soldiers just kind of back out of the field and, and one of them made a comment that says uh, I think it was just a kind of fun. Oh yeah, the cooks uh I learned how to shoot and no one got hurt. <laughs> it's like, yeah, the cooks are supposed to make the food. They're not supposed to be shooting in you know the range, but they do at times have to learn certain things. But I thought it was a chuckle thing because you're right. I said they go, Yes, their purpose is to cook. And not to shoot a gun. Yeah, you're taking that risk of someone who's learning how to shoot a gun. But again, I'm getting off track a little bit. But it was a funny, funny thing. Chapter 1. The book of Numbers. God is a God of order. And he has a plan. And he has a purpose. And just because he hasn't told you everything of how you're going to get to where he's asked you to go, be patient He has a plan of action. We just have to be patient and wait for him to show us when to take the next step, right? And not lean on our own understanding, but in all of our ways acknowledge him and he shall direct our paths, right? But that all starts in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, right? Chapter 3, verse 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord, right? Don't trust in yourself. Trust in the Lord.